awesome for being here today. So uh, thanks for being here. If you are a guest with us, it is a real treat and honor to kind of welcome you in our family. And um, if you still need a seat, um, just kick a smaller person off their seat and take their some. <clears throat> It'll be fine. There's a couple up here. I don't spit. It's okay. Um, can we just... Can you do me a favor? I, I get to say thank you, but can we just as a whole congregation say thanks to... I hope in heaven I get to play guitar like Mark. Mark, I think that's awesome. And I've tried and I never could do it. But can you just kind of... I just want to bless them. I, they never do it for this. And I know... But I just... I personally would love for our family to say thanks for the way our worship team serves us and leads us uh, every single week. So could you just kind of tell them thank you? So. That's a, a little caveat. They never do it for that, and they're going to yell at me for doing that. But um, they give up a lot of time and a lot of energy to lead us every week, and it's a real treat. And, and I hope you're excited to be here. Take your Bibles and go with me to the book of Philippians. So if you're brand new to the Bible, uh, we're kind of teaching through this book of the Philippians and kind of written to this church in Philippi. And if you kind of split your Bible in the middle, go way left, and you'll find it. And once the person next to you finds it, just trade in Bibles, and that way you have it. Uh, or you can follow along on version, I put a lot of my sermon notes in there, so if you have a smartphone, not a dumb phone, you can actually go to version and kind of pull it up, and you can follow right along all the scriptures and notes and stuff is in there. How many of you love a secret? Not the deodorant, ladies. Um, how many of you love a secret, right? And I'm not talking like secret, like gossip, like someone said, hey, do you know about... I'm not talking that kind of secret. I'm talking like secret menu at In-N-Out. Who's with me? Okay, I'm talking like secret menu at Starbucks. Did you know they have one? I did. I just read it about a month ago. I didn't know. And now I know I love it. So there's like these secrets that are awesome type of things. There's these secrets that make life better for you. Like as a parent, if you're a parent in the room, there's a secret for you. Maybe you're going to be a parent someday. Here's the secret. Reverse psychology works when they're young. Okay, when they're young. So like... I bet you can't eat your vegetables before I eat mine. That actually works sometimes. Not all the time, but occasionally. Or like when a kid's running and they biff, like face plant, right? If you don't react and you just go, wow, man, you are tough. Usually the tears won't come. Maybe about a minute later, uh, they will. But there's a little bit of these little tips, these little secrets, and that's the point of a secret is it's when it's a good secret, it actually helps you discover a different way of living. And tonight, here's what I want us to do in this last part of Philippians. As we kind of finish this book, uh, it's been a lot of fun looking with our teaching team, just kind of working our way through this. And we're going to do this with the Gospel of Mark uh, later on in the start of kind of the early spring. Uh, not initially, but maybe February, March. We're going to do that and uh, I invite you to be a part of that. This has been a fun series looking at this book of Philippians because there's so much here. And in this last part that I want to look at tonight, uh, I want you to see something. I want you to discover a secret. And I want you to discover a promise. So here's the point of the whole message right here. There is a secret and there is a promise. And if you catch them, and if you lean into them, and if you live by them, they will be life-giving and life-changing for you. There's this secret that Paul is beginning to get to. There's this wonderful, beautiful thing about secrets. I remember when I first got married, 
and um, Amy had grown up with uh, with her parents going to Disneyland quite a bit. I'd only been maybe a couple of times. Have you been to Disneyland, right? Okay, a few of you. Some of you, wow, you need more happy in your life, okay? So maybe we should do an elements trip to Disneyland. That would be kind of cool. Um, so, <laughs> wow. And uh, let's take an offering. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> so, um, Disneyland is this amazing place, right? But it's huge. And I had not been there all that often, but I remember going. In fact, I went uh, one time, I think when we were dating, we went on our honeymoon, and then we went with, uh, with our kids, right? And every time I learned something new, because I went with a pro, Someone who knew Disneyland. And I'm talking like know like where all the secret bathrooms are. And that is key. I'm telling you. That makes Disneyland the happiest place on earth. Because when you are, have to go and you can't find a place to go, you are not happy. But when you are with someone who knows, hey, I can cut right through this building and ta-da! It's amazing. And secrets have a way of just unlocking it, helping us discover some incredible things. And Paul is getting ready to tell us a secret. And here's where he kind of dives in. And we'll start in verse 10 of Philippians chapter 4. He says, I rejoice greatly in the Lord, that at last you have renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you have been concerned, but you had not had an opportunity to show it. Now remember, he's writing to a group of people, okay? This isn't just a letter. This is to the church in Philippi that he helped start, that he helped plant, right? This is a gathering of people like us that he's writing back to. Why is he writing back to them? Well, he just received a gift from them. In fact, uh, there's a guy named Epaphroditus. That's just a cool name. It's a fun name to say, everyone with me. Epaphroditus. Just name your pet that. It's really cool. Um, but Epaphroditus was this guy who brought this, this love offering, so to speak, this money, this financial gift to Paul. Because where is Paul? Paul's in prison, right? He's under house arrest. He doesn't probably have a whole lot to his name. He's pretty, probably pretty broke, and he's staring at the possible end of his life, right? He's under house arrest, and all of a sudden, this guy shows up who's traveled hundreds of miles. This isn't like get on a plane and go, like this is ride a camel and go, which takes a lot longer. And he shows up, he's gone through all of this, he's carried this gift, and he brings it to Paul. Why? Because this church in Philippi cared about Paul. Remember he talks about in the first chapter, you are in the partnership with me in the gospel. You have this partner, we are linked. Paul loves this church. And he writes to them, I'm greatly rejoicing in the Lord that you have renewed your concern for me. This isn't like we hear that in America in English and we go, gosh, they were dissing you for a while. They finally renewed, got back to seeing you. No, no, that's not in Greek. Literally, he's saying, I I, I can't believe how you've kind of, this would be that song where you put the wind beneath your wings. I'm not going to sing. But that would be like this moment, the soundtrack would play. And so that's what Paul is saying. You've renewed, you've kind of invested into me again, and it stirred him. He goes on, verse 11, I am not saying this because I'm in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. Let me read that. I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. Let me reread that. I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. What? Paul, you're not in America. You're in prison. I know what it is to be in need, he says. And I know what it is to have plenty. I know the mountaintop and I know the valley. I have learned, listen, the secret of being content 
in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I have learned what? The secret of being content. We live in a world where that's not reality, is it? That secret has yet to be discovered by most people, probably yours truly. If I'm just honest, if I'm honest with myself and if I'm honest with you, and probably if you're honest with yourself as well, that might be a secret that eludes you, or at least has seasons where it it vacates the premises, right? I've learned the secret of being content. I was listening to a couple of our volunteers this week in our, in our meeting, and they were talking about retail. How many of you have worked retail? Yeah, you raise your hand higher. Come on, be proud. You earned that badge. Um, you've worked retail. They're talking about the conversations that are currently going on in this wonderful, giving, Christmas, joyful time. And one of them says, I had to console one of my employees. Literally, she's crying on my shoulder because someone who is out shopping with joy has robbed her of hers. Have you seen this? We, we live in a world where craving takes over, doesn't it? And it's never a craving for what you have. It's always a craving for what? Something you don't have. Now, there's a difference between this idea of trying to acquire and achieve and this underlying craving of never being satisfied. There's a difference in that, okay? I'm not saying that, okay, I live in apartment life, Jack. You know, I live in an apartment. I'm surrounded by people. And, like, I'm looking forward to having a house someday. Like, where I'm not sur- I may be surrounded, like, in suburbia, but at least I got 10 feet. And I'm not hearing somebody, like, walk over top of my head all the time. And, like, I'm not saying it's not wrong to try to achieve another level in whatever it is. It's not wrong to desire that or to even put your efforts toward that. I'm talking about this deep underlying craving that is within the human soul that says, I never find enough. I always crave what? More. Because that's what Paul is beginning to see. There's a secret here. He wants us to catch. And and here's what he's kind of saying. This internal craving that is never satisfied, it, it won't ever get satisfied if it's solely dependent on your circumstances. In fact, if you're looking for contentment solely based on your circumstances, it's like digging for treasure in a mirage. You won't find it. In fact, it's not, it doesn't hinge on your circumstances. And so much of our world, friends, says that it does, right? That contentment, I will finally have satisfaction. Satisfaction, as Mick Jagger would sing about, I'll finally find it once I get, you fill in the blank, right? Whatever the next this is. And what Paul is saying is, no, there's a secret. See, that... That's just a road that's a, it's not even a dead-end road. It just it loops. And you get in this cycle, and you just, it's like you're running on a treadmill. You never get anywhere. And you just have this craving for more and more, and I need this, and I need this, and it's just the next thing. It's the next thing. And Paul said, no, that's like this never-ending cycle. Paul begins to say this passage he's beginning to drive home. Paul is saying that the secret is to take your focus Take your focus off the circumstances. 
and put your focus on your Christ, that it's not your circumstances. They will ebb and flow and they will come and go. But you can actually discover contentment when it's not based on your circumstances. Where's Paul writing this? From prison and house arrest. Chained. Captive. Held. Not free. But somewhere in here, his soul is free. Even in the midst of containment. Do you get this? The secret of contentment. Here's what I wrote. Contentment is to be found in Christ, no matter what circumstances you find yourself in. It's when you keep looking for Christ. The secret to true contentment is not what you have, but in who has you. Do you hear that? The secret to true contentment is not what you have, but it's found in who has you. That the creator of the universe actually knows your name. And doesn't just know your name, but he knows your likes, your dislikes, he knows your personality. He knows your experiences, he knows the, the trials and the errors, and he knows the successes and the failures of your moments. And he loves you. And in that context, no matter what circumstances are going on around you, you can live with contentment that you are his. Period. Now, you can pursue raising your circumstances and pursuing different things. That's not, that's not wrong. But what Paul is saying is you've got to learn the secret. In fact, the secret is locked into verse 13. Here's what he says. Well, you know this verse. You've quoted it so many times. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. See, we quote that as a success verse often. It's a great athletic verse, right? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I'm going to go hit four home runs. Well, you're probably not. Good for you if you do. What Paul is saying is I can do everything through Christ who empowers me. Here's the secret. It's not in what you have, but it's in who has you, who's empowering you, no matter what circumstances unfold and come your way. When you live with your focus off the circumstances and on your Christ, who is with you in any and every circumstance, then you will be a person who can live with contentment. You can be a person who doesn't have to let that craving drive everything within you. That's what Paul is saying. There's this secret that you need to latch onto. God promises in Christ... Through Him, He can empower you to face anything you're facing, whether you'd choose it or whether it would be the last thing in the world you'd want. I don't think any of us would say, you know what, I really want to be beat and whipped and put under house arrest and chained to a Roman guard. That sounds fun. No. But Paul, even in that moment, is saying, I've learned the secret of being content. Why? Because I know who has me. And I may not like the situation I'm in, and I may not like the circumstance, and I may wish for something different, but I know who's with me. This secret is an incredible reality of life-giving, this life-giving truth that I think we all need to wrestle with, friends. Myself included. That it's so easy to let contentment and that craving begin to pull at you. 
And what we need to see is, no, this is the foundation of, it's not in what I have, but in who has me. And as I keep my eyes on Him, I can live with contentment. It's okay to get new things. It's okay to have, but I don't have to crave that. Because my satisfaction and my contentment is not found in those things. They're just things. And they're allowed to be just things. And I can use those things. But they don't own me. They don't own me. And that kind of makes this transition of what he begins to move toward. Remember, this is that gift that was given through Epaphroditus. And it shows up and it's this financial gift that's given to Paul. And Paul says, and he kind of leads into these next few verses. And he's going to give us a promise here in verse 19 that is an incredible statement. It's an incredible statement. It's unbelievable. But it's true. Here's what he says in verse 19. Um, He says this, And my God will meet all of your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ. My God will meet all, not some, not a few, meet all of your needs, not necessarily wants, but needs in his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. That is an amazing promise. Now, I look at that and go, well, gosh, God makes this amazing promise. He's going to meet all our needs. I know people that have needs. I know people that, like, is God a liar? Because, like, I know people that have needs, and it doesn't seem like their needs are getting met. And we probably can look around the world and look around situations of people we know, and we go, okay, what's really going on here? And what you have to understand is, not only is Paul saying, here's the secret of contentment, here's this promise of God. But in order to get the promise, you have to understand the premise that comes before the promise. And that's what I want to look at here. Now, I know I'm going to talk about some financial stuff. And for some of you, I know, right, I know. inside you're like, oh, preacher guy, talking about money. I knew it. Why did I come tonight? Well, you have to understand, the reason I'm going to talk about it is A, because the Bible does, and B, because Jesus does. In fact, Jesus, when you just look through the gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, 25% of what he said was about money and resources. Meaning, if I was going to preach like Jesus, once every four weeks, I'd be talking about money and resources. Because Jesus did. Why? Because he said, where your treasure is... What? There your heart's going to be also. You want to know a test? Go balance your checkbook. And it'll tell you where your heart's desire is. Whoa. See, the truth, what Paul's beginning to get to, he's, he's, he's saying there's this incredible promise. But there is this premise that comes before it. All throughout the Bible, you begin to see this notion of, uh, of finances and of resources. Paul is writing to this church because they've given this gift. In fact, this church, the Philippian church, is the church that Paul holds up as an example that says, you want to know what a generous church is like? Look at the church in Philippi. In fact, 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and 9, I don't have time to read it. If you want to read it this week, is all about this church. 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. Chapter 8 and 9 is all about the Philippian church and about how they supported him all throughout his ministry. See, he planted this church a while back and then he left and he's been planting other churches. And this church, which isn't from a rich colony, 
They're just for the generous hearted people. And they blessed him and they multiplied his ministry all throughout. And the Bible talks about this in such great detail. Now, maybe you're new to church and this new to this whole idea of how do you deal with finances in a godly way? How do you deal with like money and resources from God's point of view? Let me just give you a quick like 30,000 feet uh, overview of the whole Bible. When it comes to money, okay? When it comes to our resources. In fact, 800 times in the Old Testament and New Testament, the Bible speaks about money and about resources. In the Old Testament, the main premise was you would give this, what they would call a tithe, right? And a tithe was a 10%. You would give a 10% tithe to the, the church. Back then, it was these, these Levites, these priests that were overseeing the activity of God in the house of God. And you would give to help support them as they ministered on your behalf. And they kind of worked with you through that. But then, and that wasn't it, because you'd have these feasts and these festivals that you'd also participate in, and that you would take up offerings to take care of the poor and the widows and the, those who were strangers among you and those who needed help, right? And pretty soon, by the end of the Old Testament, you realize about 25% of your giving, of what you got, was being given back to God. 25%. Whoa, that's a big chunk, Right? Well, then you move into the New Testament. Here's the brief overview of New Testament. Oh, New Testament talks about this idea of grace giving, where you give out of the grace that you've been given. And Paul writes about this, and again, in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, he kind of lays this out real specific-like. He kind of gives four criteria. He says your giving should be sacrificial, should be regular, should be cheerful, and proportional. I mean, it should be proportional for each person. It's going to be different for you, different for me, and, and, but it should be regular, it should be a part of who you are, and it should do it cheerfully. That's what Paul says. And that's what the Bible kind of goes through in this New Testament way of looking at it. it so many times we focus on the haves and have-nots. Are you rich or are you poor? But see, the Bible, when it talks about money and resources, it talks about two categories. One is, are you a good steward or a bad steward? That's what Jesus talks about. Are you a good steward of the resources and finances? Because maybe the big overview principle that all of the Bible would point to is that you are a manager, not an owner. And if you just live with that mindset that I'm a manager, not an owner, all of the earth is God's. He's the one that owns everything. He's the one that gives you the ability to even do what you do. And so biblically, if we were to look at it as an overview, the Bible would say, hey, learn to live as a manager, not an owner. And if you just live with that mindset, it will radically change how you approach your things, and maybe you'll actually be able to lean into the secret of contentment when your things don't own you. Wow. Amazing how this fits together. It's like God meant it to. Hmm. See, the Bible is always and only focusing on this idea of are you a good steward or a bad steward? Jesus said, if I can trust you with a little, then I can trust you with a lot. Now, we tend to start off pretty humbly in means, right? None of us, or maybe hardly any of us, came in with great means to our name. But maybe we built up some things. And listen, I'm not talking about prosperity gospel, okay? Prosperity gospel says God's like a giant pinata in the sky, and there's the stick of faith, and if I just hit it hard enough, God will drop a Jeep and a new flat screen into my house. Well, no, that, that's not what the Bible says at all. But we hear people talk like that, and that's not the truth. That's not what the Scripture is kind of calling us back to. 
I have a, a friend, um, uh, Alan, who is helping my son redo my backyard, right? Because I totally let my backyard go. And so uh, they just finished yesterday. It's not totally done, but at least it's way better than it was. And here's the promise I made to Alan. Alan, I will pay you such and such at the end of this project. But there is a premise that comes before the promise. What's the premise, you think? He's got to clear the yard, right? He's got to do something. I will be a person of my word. And I will give you this, this promise. I promise it to you. But the premise is you've got to do this in order to experience the promise, right? That is exactly what Paul is getting ready to say to this church. That's why he writes verse 19. My God will supply all of your needs according to his riches in Christ Jesus. But friends, we can't claim that promise if we're not living out the premise of verses 14 through 18. So can I walk you through verses 14 through 18 a little bit? Because I'm going to meet your needs. I want you to live with this mindset. Verse 14, he kind of goes on. Yet it was good for you to share in my troubles. I know you wanted to renew your concern for me. And it is good for you. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. He empowers me. But it's good for you. In fact, it was good for you to do what you just did for me, to send me this gift. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out in Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the manner of giving and receiving except you. No one else pitched in, but you did. You did. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid again and again when I was in need. What is Paul doing? He's reminiscing what? He's reminiscing back to the encouragement of this church and what it's been to him all throughout all these years of ministry. See, what he's beginning to lay out is this notion that we see it's captured in Proverbs 11.25. It says this, A generous man will prosper, and he who refreshes other will himself be refreshed. You want the promise? Well, there's this premise that happens before it. Not prosperity gospel, but it's this notion of how we're to live and how we're to engage. The first thing Paul says in verses 14 through 16 is basically this. Giving is an encouragement to others. How many of you have ever gotten a gift before? Wow, there are really people that don't have a gift. Um, How many of you have ever gotten a gift before, right? Everybody. Did that encourage you when someone took thought of you and actually gave you something that blessed you? Have you ever given a gift? Have you ever seen the delight and the encouragement it was with someone else? Right? It's in that moment that you realize, that's why I do this. It's because I love to see that. I love to see the encouragement you can actually tangibly see on someone's face, whether they're three or 33, right? Because you know it blesses them. And that's what Paul's saying. Is, hey, giving is encouraging to people. It encourages. We are most like Christ when we give. Why? Because Jesus gives. That's who he is. He gives sacrificially and he gives. Generosity wins. We talked about that a few weeks ago. Generosity, living as a generous person. It just helps you win in life. 
and it blesses the people around you. He goes on, he says, your, your gifts, they're an investment in the future. Verse uh, see, 16, 17 here. Uh, for even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid again and again when I was in need. Not that I'm looking for a gift now, but I'm looking for what might be credited to your account. I want you to get the credit for what you've done in investing into my future, in investing in the future of God's kingdom, and what you're doing, and how you've aided that, how you've invested in that. Your generosity is an investment in the bank of heaven. That's what Paul's saying. Do you know there's a bank in heaven? There is. First bank of God. And every time you make an investment, you get a return on that. See, if I went to a bank and I said, hey, how much interest have I accumulated? How much interest have I gotten? And their first question to me would be, do you have an account with us? Because you don't get interest if you haven't made a deposit. Right? You all know how banks work, right? You have to make a deposit in order to get this interest, this investment that cured back. And I would say, well, I've done nothing. I haven't put anything in your bank. Well, they would say, Mr. Scholl, the rule is you don't get interest on money you don't give to us. That's the way it works. Friends, the kingdom of God is very similar. That's what Paul's driving home is look, you guys invested over all these years. Think about this. Think about all the churches Paul was able to plant. Think about every single life that was changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ in Paul's ministry and in the years all throughout Macedonia and all through Thessalonica and all through the whole Mediterranean there. Think about it. Just add up the numbers in your head. As one church, a church that's from this small colony that's not rich... It's not like, you know, coming from Greece, or it's not like this, you know, church that struck it rich and won the lottery and was given. No, this is just normal people who are saying, hey, uh, Paul, we believe in you. We believe in this mission that you're on. We believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ to change lives because it changed my life. And I want to invest in that. And that investment gets a return. And Paul says, I want you to have the reward for that. Well done. That's what Paul's saying. In fact, he writes this letter of Philippians and he hands it to Epaphroditus and he says, you take this back to that church. I love that church. And friends, as a pastor, I think about that church. I think about that church in Philippi and I think about Element City Church. And here's what I wrestled with this week. I want to be known as a church like that. I know too many churches, and you do too, who, who live about collecting. And listen, there's a reality of that. You've got to collect to have a church, okay? This isn't free. It takes resources to do it. Blah, blah, blah. But for the benefit of being a generous church that's able to invest in God's kingdom work, Friends, we get to share the stories with that. Some stories we'll hear this side of heaven and other stories we won't hear till the other side of heaven, right? That we get to play a part. And I want Element City Church to be known as a generous church. That's why we're doing this year-end offering, right? 
And on January 12th, when we launch in the new place in Catalina High School, right? Rex Scott, the principal of Catalina High School, will be there on our stage. We get to thank him. And you know what I want us to do? I want us to be able to hand him a check to a church that hasn't even finished their first meeting yet. And say, Rex, you have a little theater here that your kids can't use because it has no chairs. Done. How cool is that? That as a church, we get to say, hey, your students, your 12, 1300 students that go to school here matter to us. We're not even there yet, but they matter to us. And we want them to know that they matter to God and they matter to us. Whether you want to buy that yet, Rex, or not, we want you to know that our generosity will be coming your way. In fact, tonight when you leave, uh, there's a couple cards back here. We bought Starbucks cards for every teacher and admin and assistant at Catalina High School. Uh, a $5 Starbucks card to say Merry Christmas. And I want you all to sign those two big giant cards that we have. And we're delivering that on December 16th. And we did that initially to give it to Rex and let him get all the credit. And here's what he said to me. Here's what he said to Brian and I when we were in the meeting. He said, uh, no, I really want that to come from you guys. I want them to see Element City Church did that. And we're like, okay, sweet. So uh, we did that on your behalf. That as a church family, we said we want to bless people. We're not even there yet, but we want them to know that we're a generous church. Not just giving things, but in every way we live and conduct our lives, we're generous with what we do because we know that that generosity is an investment in God's future and in his future work that he's up to. I can tell you it's making a difference even in the administration that's there because it's, it's turning heads. Why? Generosity does. It just does. Why? Because we live in a world that is sick with craving. And when you are sick with craving, you can never find contentment, and you never get to a place where you actually free up the ability to bless others. Why? We bless others because we've been blessed. So you see how this all begins to fit together, and how the Bible is constantly saying, this is the best way to live life. It frees you. Thirdly, he goes on, he says, um, giving is sacrifice pleasing to God. Verse 18, here's what he says. I received full payment uh, and even more. I am amply supplied now that you have received from Epaphroditus this gifts that you sent. They are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice pleasing to God. Giving is a sacrifice. Back in the Old Testament, they would have the sacrifice that I don't have time to go into, but it would create this aroma. And the whole point of that was to say, God, we want to bless you. Giving does that. It pleases God. It's this acceptable sacrifice to him because you're investing in his kingdom work and you're encouraging the people that are interfacing with that. Jesus said it like this in Matthew 25, in so much as you have done this to the least of these... You've done it to me. When you serve the people around you, when you are generous with the people around you, when you invest in the people God has put across your path and you take thought of them before yourself, it's like you're doing that to Jesus, Jesus says. And that is a worship offering. Now this premise of all this work, give to be an encouragement, give to invest, give to be this offering, then leads us to this promise in verse 19. Can I read it again? And my God will meet all of your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. What Paul is saying is if you will live this way, if you will actually practice this, not in theory, but in reality, 
God will take care of all your needs. In fact, God, remember Jesus taught us to pray, my, my Father, right? This isn't like a God entity that's super distant and far away and far removed. What he's saying, this is a very intimate term. My God, my Heavenly Father, He, He will take care of all of your needs. Now, He may not take care of every want, and that's okay. You as a parent, don't do that for your kids either, do you? Why? Because you're a good parent. You take care of their needs. I remember when Taylor was born, right? And hear his cries, and I'm holding him, and, and a couple emotions overwhelmed me in that moment. One was this incredible, undescribable joy of being a father for the first time. I'm just holding this, and, and each with my daughters as well, that I'm a father three times over. This incredible gift that God's given. And in those moments, this incredible joy, but also this weight of responsibility. Why? Because as a dad, it's my job to take care of the needs of my kids, right? We feel that. Listen, your heavenly father feels that for you. He's got you. You're not an orphan to him. You're not on the run from him. You're his kid. And he promises to meet your needs, to take care of you. My God will supply your needs according to his riches. Bill Gates is a pretty rich dude, right? Bill Gates, pretty rich guy, you've heard of him? Yeah. If he were to write you a check for a thousand dollars and hand it to you, what did he just do? You know, he wrote you a check for a thousand dollars and handed it to you. I get it. Yeah, he gave you money out of his riches, right? But he gave you a thousand dollars. But if Bill Gates was your friend and he wrote you a check where he didn't fill it in and he just wrote his name on the end of it and he handed you the check and said, Whatever you need, you got. Now, can he do that? Yeah, he's got a lot of glorious riches. Do you see what Paul's saying here? Paul's saying, my God will meet your needs out of his glorious riches. And he doesn't have an ending. You will never outgive God. Period. You can't do it. I dare you to try. You can't. Now, don't be foolish and dumb, but... The Bible literally says, test me on this. Test me on this. You give and you watch your heavenly father meet your needs. That's what Paul is saying. You live with the secret. And the secret is contentment is found in Christ, not your circumstances. And you can claim this promise as you practice this premise. As you give as you give to the church and as you give out of generosity of your heart, as you give to needs that come your way that you can meet that. Listen, you can't meet every need. I get that. But you figure out how God's calling you to be a giver and how he's stirring you. Here's what I wrote down the bottom line of this last part. It's our act of generosity brings God's provision guarantee. Our act of generosity, active not thinking about it, but actually doing it, will bring God's provision guarantee. I will meet your needs. I've got you. I'll take care of you. A secret. 
The secret to true contentment is not in what you have, but in who has you. It's in who has you. And the promise, our act of generosity, will bring God's provision guarantee. That's what Paul is driving home. Friends, I invite you, this Christmas, this 2014, to do that. Figure that out. With God, with your e-group, with friends around you, help say, I need more of that secret. (laughs) I need more contentment in my life. Would you help force me to put my focus on God and not on my circumstances? And will you guys challenge me in my giving that will actually be a person who practices this? Not just talks about it, but does it. Now, that isn't a ploy to raise money, but it is. Here's the reality. We're a church that's going out on its own, right? It will take all of us to make that happen, to own that, myself included. And we will do it not to survive, but to thrive and be a blessing to those who aren't even here yet. Why? We will be generous people. We will live that out in small ways and in big ways because we want that reputation. Why? Because that's God's reputation. He's a generous God. And we will be a generous church like our generous God. That's what we promise to do. And we will treat all of that with great dignity and respect and honor that. And we will be a church that moves his reputation forward in that. So would you pray with me? Uh, We're going to move on in our service and we're going to take a time of communion here in a moment and invite you as a follower of Jesus that we have that on the left and right and you're welcome to do that. We're going to have one song tonight uh, to close with. So I'm just going to invite you in that song to to worship. It's this song that speaks of with my everything, with everything that I am. I want to bring that to you, God. I want to be a person that lives with contentment. I want to be a generous person that begins to live this way that moves your reputation of generosity for because generosity wins. And so, Father, as we take a moment here to move toward communion, we just remember your generosity. We remember that it's the generous love and grace of Jesus that makes any of this, us even having life with you available, possible. That it's all because of Jesus. And we want you to, uh, to kind of form your heart within us, and especially as it comes to this notion of what we talked about tonight, this notion of, of contentment. God, that's such a feeling and emotion that, is, that isn't easy to grasp in our culture. So would you help us to live with the secret of not just uh, of discovering contentment, not in what we have, but in who has us, that you have us. That Jesus demonstrated that, proved that to be true. You have us. And God, as we practice living as generous people, and moving your church and moving the movement of Jesus forward one life at a time. That you promise to be a God who not just knows our name, but knows what we need. That you're not aloof to that, you're not distant to that, you are dialed in, you know. And that you promise out of your glorious riches in Christ Jesus to meet our needs. God, you did that with Jesus. You met the need we had. We couldn't make our way to you because of sin. You broke that. And you provided grace in its place. 
and a way to have life with you. So God, with everything we have, we worship you tonight. 